The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Nothing much, man. I got some sports stories to go over with. A lot of intense races in the NHL, NBA, draft is done, baseball's in full swing, and let's get into it. This is Know the Score. You can find us on the web at cspn.us. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, all the usual suspects for podcasts. All you have to search for is KTSPod-TheCSPN. So last week, finally, it came much talked about for months and months and months. The NFL draft, after all the mock drafts and after all the movement pre-draft and all the talk, The picks finally rolled out. Top three picks. Trevor Lawrence, of course, we've known that for over a year, or probably for three years, uh, that he would go number one. So he goes to Jacksonville Jaguars. Zach Wilson, who's uh, that throw that he did on his pro day where he was running out to his left and then threw that ball about 55 yards on a strike to his receiver downfield, went number two to the Jets. And the intrigue was here at number three, as there was a lot of smoke and mirrors about Mac Jones. Who? Mac Jones. But the 49ers in the end ended up taking Trey Lance, uh, the first quarterback from the. I'll sleep on those FBS quarterbacks. From the 1AA. Yeah, FCS. FB, yeah, FCS uh, series, the first quarterback to ever leave school early and be drafted. Uh, Joe Flacco didn't do it. Carson Wentz didn't do it. But Trey Lance does, and he's going to the San Francisco 49ers. Um, I think what they see in Trey Lance is they see a polished RG3, a yeah. more pocket-aware, uh, more um, you know used to taking the ball underneath the center, um, you know, he's got a lot. They do a lot of pro style things up there. I think it was what North South Dakota State he played at North Dakota, North Dakota State. Dakota State. Okay, I know it was one the of them. Schools Carson Wentz. Yeah, so uh, they had so they showed a lot of t- tape of him underneath center, changing protections, um, you know, doing things like that. So I think that that's what Shanahan saw, and he's like, well, you know, we had a tremendous offense with RG three. If we if he just had a little bit better quarterbacking innate quarterbacking skills uh i think that they he felt like they could have went really far so that was the top three picks um were you surprised with the 49ers going with trey lance did you have a feeling that's kind of where things were headed i was not surprised that that if you watch fcs football and if you take a look at the tape uh this this kid is really polished and so uh well not kid this young man is really polished and so i did not really see any issues or nothing wrong with um trade lance going number three 
so this was uh, no surprise. I think they knew what they wanted. Like you said, um, mobile quarterback who's got better pocket presence. And Kyle Shanahan has really thrived on quarterbacks that have mobility. Don't, as much as we don't give him credit for, Matt Ryan's more mobile than one thinks. So the success he had in his MVP year before Shanahan took the 49ers job, and of course the where will you know the twenty eight to three collapse. Ah! But um, all that aside, I think that this was a good move by the Niners. So of course, uh, people are questioning. You know, where does that leave Jimmy Garoppolo? Um, you know, I, uh, I, I, Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to get traded this year. I think he's going to at least get one or two more seasons um, to kind of show Trey Lance the ropes, and then. They'll probably, you know, try to work a trade or something. But I think he still has value to their team just for his experience. And, you know, we still kind of, you know, I I wouldn't want to throw Trey Lance out there, you know, just start the season. Yeah, unless he's just so far and away better than Jimmy Garoppolo or Jimmy Garoppolo still, you know, suffering from those injuries from last season. Uh, but I would expect at least one more year. Uh, you know, now it may only be six or seven games, but I expect, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo to start the season as a 49ers quarterback. Uh, we moved to the fourth selection with the Atlanta Falcons. A lot of people thought maybe this would be a year if, if one of those quarterbacks uh, made it past that uh, the Falcons would try to maybe get Matt Ryan's successor. But no, they selected tight end Kyle Pitts from Florida with the fourth pick. So it's the first time. Um, it's the first time uh, a, a tight end has ever gone this high. Um, that's a very curious selection for me because I mean we've heard a lot of talks about maybe Julio Jones being on a trade market. Um, there was Jamar Chase there. There was Devontae uh, Smith as well. But they decided to go with Kyle Pitts. So I, I this kind of tells I me mean, they're probably not going to trade Julio Jones now. They're probably not for one. You got Julio Jones, you got Calvin Ridley. I mean, if you look back in the Matt Ryan era, he's always had a great tight end. He had Tony G for a long time. He had Austin Hooper before he went to Cleveland. So he really didn't have that tight end. I mean, Logan Paulson's more of a blocking tight end. So he didn't have that receiving tight end that takes that pressure off of uh, Julio Jones for one. And then uh, it's going to be pretty much pick your poison for for Atlanta now with uh, Ridley, Pitts, and Jones. So this was a good pick for them as much as I hate to say that. But they they got the guy. They got a great player right there. And uh, Kyle Pitts, definitely. I don't think – I think Kyle Pitts is not going to be that big of a matchup problem as people think because he doesn't block. When he's on the field, I wouldn't necessarily have my big package out there. I would ex- – I would – you know, I would majority of the time line up in a in a big nickel defense if I could or my just straight-up nickel defense because, I mean, you know, I mean, he does block, but a lot of the blocking he does is like – hold him up, hold him up, and then throw him to the ground and then come out in the pattern. You know what I mean? It's not like he's mowing people over like Gronk. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, Gronk, I mean, he's not like a – he's not a blocking tight end. That's not what – I mean, I know tight ends are supposed to do that job, but, uh, you know, he's the straight receiving tight end. So if you're really looking for him to, you know, be that in-line blocking tight end, there's formations that – Arthur Smith can have, and if he has a blocking tight end, you can just sub him in and out. But if you want to put him in the slot or put him out wide or put him on the line and have him go out on the pattern or do a rub off from there, that's probably what he's going to be utilized for. Right, right. Yeah, definitely don't want to play a lot of cover, too, uh, if Kyle Pitts is lined up at the tight end or in the slot position because you know he's going right down the middle. Uh, Exactly. The Bengals select Jamar Chase, wide receiver, with the fifth, with the fifth pick. So they are re- reuniting Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, uh, college teammates from the magical LSU season from two years ago. Um, this was a very curious pick to me because Penay Sewell was there. Uh, Joe Burrow coming off of that devastating knee injury uh, last year. The line of the Bengals being very suspect um, as it currently is uh, made up I, I thought that this was kind of a, um, a, a bad pick in their in their estimation um, just because I would put value protecting my quarterback more than giving him one more guy to throw to we just drafted one guy he could throw to and he proved himself last year so yeah that yeah this was this could have been a better pick honestly um uh, I would also say that in the – I get – it kind of reminds me of how the Colts did Andrew Luck. Instead of getting him guys to block for him and protect him, you just go out and get weapons. So this really wasn't the right approach. And it should have been – yeah, they should have definitely went with the linemen. If you were going to get – if you weren't going to get uh, one, you should have at least got Slater. But, yeah, this wasn't – could have been a better pick for the Bengals, definitely. Um, not going to necessarily go, uh, you know, through the first round completely here. But uh, Chicago, they moved up uh, with the Giants to get up to number 11, and they selected Justin Fields. Uh, so Justin Fields dropped down to number eleven. Uh, the guy that most people thought uh, would be. Wait a minute the, now. Oh, we're gonna get to it. Uh, okay. That most people <laughs> thought would be the, you know, second pick in this year's draft when the college football season started, but Justin Fields is now a Chicago Bear. I thought Chicago did a great job, um, seeing that they could make this happen the teams that were in front of them maybe we're going to get a quarterback but they made sure well you know maybe one or two but they made sure that uh, they got their guy and uh matt nagy and ryan pace they just uh, extended their careers in chicago by at least two more years absolutely i mean and the great thing is they don't have to rush justin fields because uh they can get him acclimated in andy dalton will kind of just be the spot starter until Fields is ready, unless Fields just blows their mind away in in a training camp. But this was a definite good move. The Bears have really never had a franchise quarterback in all of their history. 
And so they finally got somebody that can actually, that has the charisma, that has the uh, poise to actually just put the city on their shoulders and really has the potential to be great. The above Mac Jones. He went exactly where everybody thought he would go uh, before all the pre-draft talk and smoke and mirrors. Number 15 to the New England Patriots. Uh, everybody was just talking about how this is a perfect fit. Uh, Mac Jones is, you know, basically, you know, Tom Brady 2.0 in their estimation. He's a smart quarterback, has awesome pocket presence, isn't going to outrun anybody, but he gets the ball out on time to the right people. Um, makes the right plays, gets teams into the right plays. So uh, Mac Jones has a chance to sit behind Cam Newton at least for one year and probably will replace Jarrett Stidham uh, at some point as the backup. And then uh, he'll be on his way to starting uh, maybe in two seasons for New England. Yeah, he's basically a roll tied sandwich with two Auburn guys pretty much. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that'll be a very interesting quarterback's room. So, but, uh, yeah, this was basically the guy uh, Bill wanted the whole time, and he went out and got him. So, we'll just have to see if everything goes into fruition. And like you said, uh, that's the perfect prototypical quarterback for the Patriot way. Now, what I think you wanted to talk about, your Carolina Panthers. There we go. Uh, made the Dallas Cowboys really mad because they jumped up. Ah, 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 uh, J.C. Horn, cornerback with the eighth pick. Um, I didn't know, did so, not know that he was Joe Horn's son. And yes. then I then I heard then once I found that out then I saw Joe Horn was all burnt hurt over the coverage that his son's draft pick got. It's like, come on, Joe, really? <laughs> they was at your house. They was in your living room. I mean, you right. want Trevor Lawrence? They ain't gonna come back to your house like four times and sit and check on y'all. But you know, saw y'all get drafted, saw y'all celebrate. Everybody hood, throw the confetti in the air. What more you want? Right. <laughs> you need a cell phone. Does he need a cell phone? Like, <laughs> like, what the, what the heck? Like, besides Joe, what has Joe Horn done in the last few years anyway? Besides, be a coach. Like, it's not like we see you all the time. Like, even, and this is apples and oranges in different sports. But even Levar Ball didn't complain about the coverage that Melo got when he was drafted. So what the, what's the big damn deal? So, uh, you know, I'm glad JC's a Panther. I'm glad he's staying in the Carolinas, um, shut down corner. Uh, I thought, I mean, between, you couldn't go wrong with him and uh, Patrick Sertan uh, with that corner position, but. You went to the I, Dolphins, I, right? Yes. Yeah, so, Dallas, so was, uh, Dallas was ass out when they got ready to pick. Right. Yeah, so they did a very smart thing, traded back, and ended up getting uh, Parsons, I think the kid's name is, from uh, Penn State, that a lot of people had Washington maybe uh, as a target for him. But uh, apparently coming down the stretch here of the draft, there were some things about his character that kind of came out as 
you know, happens when people need to be dropped down uh, unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. So, and Ron Rivera ain't touching nobody with questionable character. So, that's true. He never has and never will. Yeah. So, that allowed Parsons to go to uh, Dallas. I, I thought uh, Dallas that was the perfect place for him. I thought Dallas had a really good draft, and, and I was very, uh, for, I was very, um, very upset that they did. They had such a great draft because they drafted what they needed. They drafted linebackers, they drafted cornerbacks. Uh, I don't know if they even drafted one offensive player in this draft, uh, and if they did, it probably was an offensive lineman late. Uh, but most of their uh, choices were on the side of the ball where they needed the most help, and uh, they got some really good players. Definitely. You know, I don't like when Dallas has nice things, so this does suck. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's a good draft for for them. I think they, like you said, they did they did one thing that's their status quo. That's good guy always taking the guys with the questionable character. Um, that's like their mo, but. Getting this, getting the players they needed. They definitely needed a whole lot of defensive help, and they definitely went with the Carolina approach with getting, you know, mostly defensive players. Um, as a matter of fact, that going back to that J.C. Horn pick, that was literally at first I was like, "Is Matt Rule going to go all defense again like he did last year?" But uh, they ended up getting some good offensive players as well. The Eagles, they traded picks with Dallas once Dallas realized that their uh, top two selections had already been drafted, so Dallas moved back. Traded with the Eagles, and the Eagles picked up Heisman Trophy winner Devonta Smith. So um, I guess Jalen Hurts now has a new weapon as, you know, they've been kind of um, caught close to the vest about, you know, starting quarterback and talking about, you know, competition at every position because, you know, they got a new coach and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, Devontae Smith is now a member of the NFC East. And, uh, man, I hope Washington has enough good cornerbacks and safeties to to contain that guy. Um, the speed, the the good hands, I, I'm, I'm very, very nervous about uh, that addition to the Eagles. I mean, that is a very interesting combination. I I know that everybody presumes Jalen Hurts is going to be the guy, and I hope he is. Like, I'm a Jalen. I I enjoyed watching Jalen Hurts, especially that last year at Oklahoma. But uh, I just hope people don't, especially the Philly fan base, don't try to – run him out of the city because they're notorious for doing that. Um, But it's going to be very good that he's got a receiver like Devontae Smith. I would have loved to have had him in Carolina, but I know know, um, the Panthers, they, they did address their receiver issues in the next round anyway, so. And my Washington football team, they drafted uh, linebacker Jamin Davis out of Kentucky, uh, one-year starter. Um, 
Hopefully he can fill the need of a middle linebacker guy that showed really good speed, really good tackling ability. Um, you know, everybody still questions, you know, only one year uh, as a starter. So, um, but I think that's a good thing because it, it tells me that he doesn't have too many bad habits that run and uh, Jack Del Rio will have to get out of him, that he'll be someone they can mold um, really easy into what they want to be. Hopefully he becomes their version of uh, Luke Keekley, just, a, you know, a guy who can make a lot of plays uh, with those big boys in front of him, you know, leaving clear lanes for him to come down and, and shoot gaps and make tackles uh, in the backfield on running downs. And, um, you know, if he can get in the way of a couple of passes like Luke Keekley and have good hands, you know, he could end up with, you know, 10 or 12 career interceptions, uh, you know, throughout his career if he can stick around. So I, I really like this selection. I like the speed that he brings. Uh, at the linebacker position and uh, you know like I said a kid who doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his body for only starting for two years in college so you know he's got a lot of tread on his tires for the Washington football team to uh, to use up going forward in his career um, anything else in the first round that may have shocked you uh, a person who failed or a person who may have went a little higher than you thought or a team who kind of um, you know may have reached for a guy or or not really i don't yeah i think everything was pretty much the way it came about um you know there was nothing that really like knocked my socks off was just like oh snap they they got this guy at this spot or i'm surprised i i think the only thing that may have surprised me was um probably where a lot of the receivers, these great receivers were drafted. Uh, that was probably the only thing that stuck out to me, but nothing in the grand scheme of things that just made me think otherwise. So that's where I stand on that. Uh, would you think about the, uh, the, the Cleveland, the atmosphere, uh, them being the host city? Uh, how do you think that it came off? I think for what it was worth, it was pretty good. Uh, there was um, some, you know, with the pandemic and everything, how everything will uh, come about. But I think they did, they did fine. I mean, I mean, I would I'd love to see more players, you know, but I know they're, they're still in the, you know, staying safe and staying at home and everything as well. So I understand that. On draft day, we had some breaking news as Adam Schefter of ESPN reported that Aaron Rodgers does not want to return to the Packers. Uh, the Packers were trying to uh, give him a you know a contract extension because his contract is up after this year. And apparently Aaron Rodgers has told folks that he is not happy with uh, Mark Murphy and I guess his assistant GM. And uh, basically, it's like, hey, either them or me. And right now, the Packers, of course, have dug in. It's like, no, we're not trading them. We're, you know, we hope to keep him around here for a long time. And uh, we'll see who will win the standoff. Um, unfortunately, man, Aaron Rodgers does things in a very messy way. Sort of kind of like Brett Favre is doing, did to Aaron Rodgers now. It's like, okay, dude, yeah. if you wasn't happy with how things ended, uh, you could have said this in January. He said this in February. 
You could have even said it in March, but you can't say it the day before the draft because what, 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 they can't do anything. Right. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, the I think it's, and it's more of the GM more than uh, the team president, Mark Murphy. I think it's like Ryan Gun. Gunk, Gunters or something of that sort. Yes, but um, I think it's more of him and him the drafting of Jordan Love last season didn't sit well with Aaron. But we all knew uh, that. But then you went out and won the MVP. So I mean, okay. Yeah. So it's like it probably did exactly what they wanted it to do. It got you off your resting off your lows and got you reignited and we got a hell of a season out of you. Right. And, and now you got this awkward situation, especially now with his other interests taking center stage as well. So do you think that he would, that he's a, a real viable candidate to host Jeopardy full time? Nah. Do you think that if they offered it to him, he would retire to do it? I think he would retire to do it. Uh, do I think they're going to offer it to him? No. And the only reason why I say that, I'm going basically off my... Because, you know, my Mama D, she has always been a Jeopardy fanatic. And we always watch Jeopardy uh, as a family or whatever, so... The the thing with this is Aaron was a lot of, Aaron was very dry on Jeopardy. Like he didn't do bad, but he didn't do good. And it was just really dry, you know, and I know he's got personality. I mean, we've seen other We've seen other instances, but for this platform, I don't think it's... And I know he wants to do it, which is awesome, but I just I can't see it. I just can't see it being full-time, and if he does do it full-time, I think if he can't get to Las Vegas or Denver, then it's, he's not going to stay in Green Bay. Uh, there was some talk about maybe a Seattle and Green Bay trade straight up. Uh, Aaron Rogers, Rogers for, for Wilson. Yeah, but I don't think Sierra's going to go for that. Mm-hmm. If she didn't, she don't like it in Seattle. She damn sure ain't going to like it in Green Bay. Right. Who did your mom enjoy uh, as the Jeopardy host so far? Who did she think has done the best? Oh, man. Who was it? I've... She told me. I can't remember. I'll have to hit her up the next time. I'll have to kind of run it back. But, um, yeah. Matter of fact, I want, to, I want to find out right now. Give me just a second. I'm going to send her a text. The Broncos, they made a move before the draft, and they got two gloves, Teddy Bridgewater from the Carolina Panthers because the Panthers earlier in the month traded for their new franchise quarterback, they hope, and Sam Darnold for the New York Jets. 
uh, which allowed them the open spot to draft Zach Wilson. So we'll talk about the Broncos going with Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I really like this is another conversation we're going to have after we talk about these two. I really like Drew Locke. You know, I think that he's got talent. He's a young quarterback. So, you know, he makes three good plays and he may make five bad ones right after that. But, you know, it's just kind of the 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 learning curve of a young quarterback. But they brought in Teddy Bridgewater, I'm guessing, to be just, you know, the backup, the veteran presence in the room to kind of help Drew Locke with his maturation process. But uh, is this a good spot you feel for Teddy Bridgewater at this stage of his career? Yeah. Uh, because it didn't work in Carolina. It just did not work. I mean... A lot of the games that Carolina probably should have won, you can kind of look at the two-minute drills, and there's a lot of dinking and dunking. Like, we need to get the ball down the field, and you are you are just throwing the ball three yards down the field and then trying to get run, trying to get receivers run out to catch. Yeah, I know the completion percentage was there, but, I mean, a lot of it was short passes. And so at first when I saw the Sam Donald trade, I really was kind of like, what are they thinking? But then I then I thought about it. I'm like, well, Robbie Anderson was Sam's favorite target in New York. So why wouldn't he be his top target in Carolina? I mean, they threw for 80, 88 passes and 1,300 yards while the two of them were together, then Sam Darnold will have more weapons. So I really ended up, you know, kind of like, hey, this isn't as bad as, you know, everybody makes it out to be. You know, Panther fans are always a weird. Look, man, Panther fans didn't even want, they didn't want Cam Newton, dude. So I, I don't trust most of their judgment when it comes to quarterbacks, dude. At all. You can't. It was like, let's keep rolling with Jake DeLone. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotta let that Jake DeLone thing go, especially <laughs> after the five interception game against Arizona. Nothing was the same. Um, but this is going to get back to my larger uh, point is, man, these teams are moving away from these quarterbacks so fast. It seems like they're only giving these kids two years. And it's like, hey, if you ain't showing me nothing after your second year, we're not even going to give you a chance to get a third. We, you got to, we're bringing somebody in. We're trading it's you. Man, I, I mean, I, under, I, I guess it's the Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes effect. Yes. That's, uh, and I was just about, you, you took the words out of my mouth because there have been cases where quarterbacks have been successful that if you're not following this blueprint, then you got to go. And so teams are pushing that proverbial panic button really, really quick. Yeah, man. I mean, they're talking about like 
this is to prove it year for Tua. He's got to go out here and show that he can get it done or they're going to move on from him. Like, good Lord. <laughs> he just drafted him like two years ago and he right. wanted him to be perfect in year two. Right. It's like, man, if this was the case, boy, Troy Aikman would have never gotten into to win a Super Bowl or be in the Hall of Fame because, you know, exactly. his first three years, he was – his first two years, he was awful. His third year – you could see him finally turn a corner, and in the fourth year, he won the Super Bowl. So, but yep. yeah, I just, I just, I'm just amazed at how short the leash is uh, yeah, for guys right now uh, in the NFL as far as quarterbacks go. Man, I mean, I would rather be one of these kids like a Trey Lance, uh, like a, a Mac Jones, uh, maybe even a Justin Fields in Chicago that's going to get a chance to maybe sit down for a, a good year, maybe two before well, I have to, to come into, that. you know, this, this, this league and, and, and trying to, you know, because still the college game is, doesn't prepare these guys at the level they the need to be out. as far as quarterbacking goes, where if you could sit back and sit on the sideline for two years and behind a veteran quarterback, who's good, who's smart, who can, you know, you can learn from, you can, you know, go through the practices, go through the meetings, go through all that stuff, and then in your third year on the team kind of move into that starting position. I think guys would be much better equipped for the long haul of their career than being like, okay, you got two years to prove it to us, and you're on this bad team with, you know, probably a shaky offensive line, maybe one guy to throw to. Um, I, I just don't know if they're they're setting these guys up for the best success if they're only going to give them a couple of years or three to to see what they can do. Right, and I would say too that with this uh, with this uh, instant gratification that these GMs are on right now, I can we get can we get instant gratification on them? Like, how, like, you want these guys to be successful, but you're not giving them time. But yet, uh, you know, you got these executives. Like, how long did it take David Caldwell to get fired uh, in Jacksonville before they finally hired somebody new? Right, right. Um, and all the fans. Yeah, go ahead. And I was just thinking all the failed quarterbacks that he picked, uh, Bortles, Gabbert, um, who else? There's it's a slew of them. And, yeah, so we need to hold these uh, GMs just as accountable, you know, give them two or three years to build a team. Like, you want to build a team, but – you want to build a team, but you don't want to give them time to develop. It's just not fair. Right, right. Um, so that's the NFL draft. Um, so next thing we'll have are the mini camps uh, where the guys, you know, come in, do the workouts, get the playbooks, uh, do that little bit of working out. Hopefully nobody gets hurt uh, in that mini camp. And then that will set us up for training camp. And then, of course, hopefully everybody gets through training camp all nice and healthy. And then that leads us into the new 17-game season of the NFL. Yuck. 
Not a fan. Um, there's uh, gonna be uh, one less preseason game. And... Still not a fan. <laughs> uh, and um, so you know that's your trade-off for the extra game is one less preseason. Yeah. Game. I mean, I mean, preseason is borderline meaningless, but a 17th game. I mean, I just think of the toll on the players' bodies and things of that sort too. Yeah, it's going to be a very, uh, you know, especially if you get down towards the end of the year and you're, you're a really good team, um, you know, maybe those last two or three games, if you can afford to, you know, you start resting guys. But it's very, it's a very, very difficult situation when you start resting guys, you know what I'm saying? Because, uh, you know, if you get that number one seed, you know, you're going to have all that time off. And we always know that it takes about a half for the number one seed to kind of get back into their mojo after they, you know, get that first round by. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it'll be very interesting to see this, the attrition rate. I think that what they found out this year was without the training camp and without all the preseason stuff that early in the season, we saw a lot of injuries, but throughout the whole season, we had less injuries than we normally would. If you, you know, lumped in the preseason, and everything else that, you know, we've always gone through in the past. All right. Well, that's NFL. So now we're going to move on to the MLB, Major League Baseball. And, uh, yeah, it was a very interesting weekend between the Phillies and the Mets. Uh, They don't like each other. They got people throwing at each other's heads. They got people jawing back and forth. They got pitchers showing up hitters and hitters saying, hey, he got a problem with me. He can meet me out back. And then on the backdrop of all of that, Francisco Lindor is struggling. Uh, he's, I think he got up to around 220 this weekend because he did have a couple of good games for him. But uh, just talk about the weekend series with the Phillies and Francisco Lindor, man, um, struggling. Juan, I hate one, I hate the Phillies, so for you know, I have choice words for them. But I'm not gonna, you know, fuck the Phillies. I'll put it out there. Uh, sorry, Dad. Uh, sorry to my Philly family, but I said what I said. Um, yeah, this was a very. I mean, these two don't like each other. They never have. They never will. I don't like any. I mean, this intensity is the same with the. I mean, every NL East rivalry is pretty much intense, with the exception of Miami, because nobody really pays attention to the Marlins. But um, the Mets, Phils, Mets, Braves, Mets, Nationals, um, well, any of any combination of these teams, uh, and it's going to be a very intense hatred but um yeah these the series was a good one I mean I love the fact that you know Dominic Smith you know stood up for his guy I mean uh, Alvarado was throwing some questionable pitches and did you see the game last night I did I (laughs) man the heart populations that I go through as a Mets fan is just not is just not fair. Like 
it was very I think it was poetic justice that Alvarado gave up that base a little bit double to Pete Alonso, which put the bets up eight to four. So of course I'm all I'm thinking smooth sailing from here, but then I remembered who our closer is. Edwin Diaz. And ever since Edwin Diaz left Seattle, he was the best closer in the game when he was with the Mariners. Ever since he came to the Mets, I don't know if it's the big market. I don't know if it's the National League. I don't know if it's just facing NL teams. This guy just has not got the job done as a Met. And so as soon as... I realized who was pitching in the ninth inning. I got nervous. So the nervous energy comes in. I'm looking at the notifications. Now it's eight to four. Then I see Reese Hoskins hit a three-run homer that ties the game at eight. So now I'm cussing up a storm because, again, I thought the game was well in hand. This is why sports is played. But... Then I got a notification that the Mets beat the Phillies 8-7. to seven. So I'm just like, what the heck is going on? So I went on my at-bat app. I looked at the video, and the ball hit the railing. You got to blame the engineers of Citizens Bank Park. Blame the Phillies for their own design. It comes back to Hano. Ground rule double, ball game, Mets win, get over it, Phillies. Yep. Yeah, Reese Hoskins uh, was about uh, the funny how the ball bounces because if that ball skips, it goes into the seats, but it clanged and came back onto the field. And yeah, it's just a ground rule double. And the tight rope, you finally got off of it uh, there in the ninth inning. But um, you know that it's just a, this was a very heated, heated series, and uh, you know it's probably going to be that way for the rest of the year. Um, I have a question for you now, sir. Uh, who yes. is the best player in the National League? Is it Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Braves, or is it Mr. No. Excitement, Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres? Neither. Oh. Who do you Mookie have Do you think Mookie? Mookie Betts. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, now, Fernando Tatis is the most entertaining and Ronald Acuna is the most powerful. I'll give him. I'll give him that. And I hate giving any kind of Atlanta Brave credit, but Acuna is really, really good. I really love his game. I really love his power. And you know, I wish he was anywhere but Atlanta. But I can't change that. So but still um, going with the the MVP from last year, Mookie Betts is still the best. Huh? Yes, sir. I'm sticking with Mookie Betts. I, I think the things that he does offensively and what's really caught my eye this season is the stuff he's doing defensively. Mm-hmm. And so that I, you don't really see that as much from the other two. Uh, but what Mookie Betts is doing on both on the field and with the bat, that's that's where I'm going with that. Madison Bumgardner about a week or so ago got a no-hitter that wasn't a no-hitter as he no-hit the Braves for the seven innings of the doubleheader in the win. Uh, The Braves in that particular day played 14 innings and only got one hit. They almost got no-hit twice 
in, in two seven inning games. <laughs> Which well, is amazing. That's astounding. And I really, I think, and it's really, I think what's more astounding, they did that with a team that's got a lot of weapons on the, at the plate. I mean, you got Acuna, you got Freeman, you got Albies, and you got other players as well. You got Darno. I mean, even though he didn't do it for the Mets, but he's doing it for the Braves, but whatever. But, um, you have a lot of you have a lot of uh, weapons, and for the Diamondbacks to go fourteen innings and just give up one hit in those fourteen innings—that's astounding. Keeping those bats quiet, definitely. Uh, so you know, the, I don't usually look at the standings in baseball until Memorial Day, so I have about three more weeks before I really start. Honing in on who's playing well. And at least. But, you know, um, the Dodgers are playing good ball. Uh, the Mets were playing good ball, but they kind of stumbled a little bit, and they seem to have picked things back up here over the weekend against the Phillies. The Phillies are super struggling, though. Um, you know, the, Nat, the Nets are hot right now. I mean, the whole NL East, you guys got to throw away right now because the top two teams are 500. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, I think the team that's really surprised me is the San Francisco Giants. Nobody's really talking about them. Um, the A's are really hot as well. Yeah, they had one they, like 13 in a row at one point. Yes. And, and so I think the Yankees are finally getting it together. Uh, they have their struggles, but it looks like they're getting back on track. But yeah, the team that's really surprised me is uh, are the Giants. Uh, I think you know we used to do that odd number, even number year. We haven't done that in a long time. But uh, I think the team that's really disappointed me are the Padres, honestly, because the reason why I say that is. You know, they, they've spent the last at least couple seasons stacking the deck, loading the deck to try to compete with the Dodgers, and they just keep coming up disappointing. I mean, at least they got a no-hitter this year for the first time in franchise history. It's the last MLB team to get a no-hitter. But, yeah, they it just seems like there's something about them that just does not well, I think that they had all these games early in the year with the Dodgers to start the season, and I think they put so much stock into those games, and then the Dodgers came out and like you know won most of the most of those games in those first two series. So I think that's kind of where the disappointment comes from. It's just that you know um, the head-to-head rivalry, um, you know, has been kind of one-sided in the form of the Dodgers. And uh, I think that's going to be one of the things that people are just trying to um, – the Padres, once they get away from playing the Dodgers for a little bit, I think, you know, they'll get to where they're supposed to be. I'll keep an eye on it for sure, definitely. Next up, it is the uh, – one more thing in MLB. Show Atani of the uh, Los Angeles Angels. 
could he Three. win the Cy Young and the MVP? The Cy Young for pitching and the MVP for hitting in the American League this year? I mean, it's definitely possible. I mean, the things that he's done already is very amazing. And I would say that he definitely is the best pitcher in the American League. Definitely not the best in MLB. That goes to Jacob DeGrom, hands down. But, and I'm not saying that because I'm a Mets fan, but um, definitely the best in the American League. And if if he is uh, consistent with the hitting, it's definitely possible that he can win both awards. I don't see why he wouldn't be able to. Right, right. But he's got to stay healthy, though. That's his main problem. True that, true that. This is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, Dwayne. And now we're going to move into the NBA, where LeBron James uh, finally came back uh, to the Lakers after missing about six weeks with a high ankle sprain. Um, as a person who uh, suffered a high ankle sprain earlier this year, uh, yes, I feel all his pain. Um, I will never complain. I will never complain about anybody missing a month or more, a month and a half with a high ankle sprain ever again after suffering one of my own. Because yes, it took me about two months to kind of feel like I was about ninety percent uh, on this ankle. So, uh, and I'm not doing anything nearly as uh, extraneous as uh, you know running and jumping and catching alley oops like LeBron James is. So uh, he came right. back and promptly the Lakers um, they lost to the Toronto Raptors. Uh, trying to get their groove back. Anthony Davis came back maybe about a week and a half ago. So, Lakers are kind of... Insult to injury. LeBron reactivated the injury. Oh. Uh, again. Yeah, so the Lakers right now are in a dogfight to try to stay out of that seventh spot that nobody wants to be in because nobody apparently wants to be in this play-in tournament uh, for the last two positions. They're currently tied with uh, Portland um, for the uh, their sixth, Portland a seventh, but they both have the same record, so I, I don't know what the tiebreaker is. Got the I think the Lakers got a head-to-head. Okay, so um, that's that situation now. I'm going to let Dwayne explain the way the playoff tournament is going to work, and then I'll tell you the teams that are currently in the positions to be in those games. All right, so the way the playing tournament works this season. So in the East and the West, the top six playoff spots are guaranteed. So you're in the top six, you are in the playoffs. So now this is where it gets interesting. Seven through ten in the East get a chance to be, get a chance to play for the final two seeds in the conferences. So uh, seven, eight, nine, ten, and this really boils down to three matchups. And uh, I want to say it's going to be three matchups in a three to four day span. So the first matchup will be the seventh seed taking on the eighth seed, and the winner of the seven and eighth seed will get the seventh seed in their conference, and then the loser of the seven and eight game will be playing for the A seed. 
Then you'll have the ninth seed taking on the 10th seed with the winner of that game playing for the 8th seed and the loser heading home for the summer. Or it could be early fall this time. But, and then the last matchup will be the loser of the 7-8 playing the winner of the 8-9. and nine. The winner of that will get the A seed and will have to play the top seed with the loser going home for the summer. So, a lot to, a lot to take in. Just think seven versus eight, nine versus ten, and then one more matchup between the loser seven eight eight and the winner nine ten. The teams that are currently in those positions in the Eastern Conference at seven, we have the Boston Celtics at eight. The upstart Charlotte Hornets, who are probably going to be the one team that gets screwed out of this format because if things were to just end the way that they normally would, they would just be the eight seed, it looks like. Uh, now that LaMelo Ball's back, they look like they're, you know, hit their stride. I think they won something like they lost to Miami. So they lost, they won like four out of their last five. They beat Detroit and lost to Miami, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Charlotte is definitely a team that's probably not going to be a big fan of this playing tournament. Uh, Indiana is ninth in the surprising Washington Wizards have – uh, you know, found their stride a little bit. I think they won something like eight or seven in a row at some point here. Eight of their last ten. Yeah, to get back into contention and to be the number 10 seed currently. So the matchups would be Boston versus Charlotte and Indiana versus Washington uh, if the playing tournament was to start today. And out in the West, you've got Portland in the seventh spot, Memphis in the eighth spot, Again, Memphis, who just missed the playoffs last year in the bubble, I'm pretty sure is not thrilled to be in this, have to be in this spot again. Golden State, basically on the back of Steph Curry, he's got them 500 at 32 and 32, and then the San Antonio Spurs are at 10. So that would be Portland and Memphis, and then Golden State and San Antonio if the matchups were to happen uh, today. Uh, that now is going to bring us to the top of the division. The top of the Western Conference, specifically, where we have Phoenix and Utah uh, with the two best records in the league. Both of those teams are 46 and 18. Right behind them, you have Denver at 43 and 21. My question to Mr. Dwayne here is who do you see winning the MVP? I know uh, Nikola Jokic from Denver has uh, been getting a lot of the pub. Uh, so far this year, because for most of the season, Denver did have the best record, uh, even though they've had to play the last about two weeks and the rest of the season without Jamal Murray, who blew out a knee in the last seconds of a blowout loss to the uh, Warriors. Um, and a game he shouldn't have been playing. And yeah, that's one those, yeah, one of those things where it's like, what is he even doing out there at this point right. in the game? Uh, uh, Chris Paul. Uh, has come into Phoenix and turned that whole situation around uh, with with Booker and Aiton and those guys. And uh, Phoenix has uh, now clinched a playoff berth for the first time in over a decade. And then you've got Donovan Mitchell out here in uh, Utah uh, leading that team. So who do you think right now would be your selection for the league MVP? I would have to say... I would have to say CP3. And the reason why I say that is look at what 
look at what he's done for this uh, Suns franchise since arriving. Like he's really, he's got them relevant again. He's got them believe. He's got the fans believing. I mean, Devin Booker literally was screaming for help, and he's finally got it, and and he looks better. I mean, it's a nice addition along with – it was a nice move, and you got to give James Jones, the GM of the Suns, yes, LeBron's friend James Jones, a lot of credit, and that definitely be considered uh, – Former Phoenix uh, Suns, James Jones, too. Yes, uh, definitely a candidate for executive of the year. Uh, you can also, I mean, you can also make a case for Donovan Mitchell, Nicole, and Jokic as well. But uh, my my guess would be, um, I mean, Chris Paul because he's been he's been the difference. He's really been that that key that key piece that the Suns may have been missing and with his leadership, they can go, they can go a long way. And, you know, for Paul, it'd be great to see him get to an NBA finals, but, you know, we got to always beware, beware of, you know, the teams like the Lakers and, and, um, cause if they get healthy and they find their stride, you know they they're going to be very dangerous as well. Uh, you got to always look at uh, you got to look at the Clippers, even though they you know they're not making as much noise as one probably thinks they should be. But and don't forget about Dallas. I mean, Doncic and Porzingis. I think if they could eventually start getting things going, that's going to be a huge problem for. The rest of the NBA. Uh, how do you look over in the East? Um, top loaded Milwaukee, um, the Nets, uh, Philly, um, Atlanta. Surprisingly, very good this year. It looks like, um, at least by the standing. Nate McMillan. You gotta give Nate McMillan a nod for Coach of the Year. He's took over that Hawks oh, team. Oh man, it's about to be Tom Thibodeau, Holmes. You know that. Knicks are fourth. Eh, whatever. <laughs> big ups to Julius uh, Randle, man. Give a big shout out to him. That's your most improved player. Definitely. Definitely Julius Randle for most improved. Um, I mean, yes. As, oh God, I got to get the next credit. Ew. Um, the reason why I say Nate McMillan as well, I mean, the Hawks were, the Hawks were left for dead before he took over. And look where they are now. So that that's why you got you gotta give him a nod as well. I mean, yes, the Knicks are there and but Julius Randle definitely always been one of my favorite players anyway. Uh, favorite young players. And you know, he's definitely doing great things for the Knicks. And and yeah, one of the main reasons I just the only thing I really am concerned about with the Knicks is will Tibbs has Tibbs learned to not run people into the ground like he did in Chicago. And I really want to see how the Knicks are going to fare 
when they get to the postseason. I'm not really worried about like the atmosphere and things of that sort. And the biggest stage, I really want to see. You know, they got a good, they have a good half court defense. I really want to see if that's really going to be their bread and butter in the playoffs. Now I'll turn it over to you, Mr. Dwayne, so you can get your quick NHL uh, stuff in really fast, and then we'll turn it over for shout outs and final thoughts. All right, so quickly in the NHL, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes are the best team in the league right now. Say it again. The Carolina Hurricanes are the best team in the league right now. That's right. Um, They are playing the best hockey, and I have definitely uh, 75 points. They lead the Central Division over Tampa Bay and Florida. Um, Got to see them for the first time in over 15 months live and in person this week, twice, two wins. So, um, overtime win against Columbus on Saturday night. And um, and again, they should have never went to overtime to begin with. But yeah, that's the and, there. and they went and they were a little sleepy against Detroit, but uh, they ended up putting Detroit away. Uh, on last Thursday. So, yeah, so Carolina's rolling. They're up 2 nothing over the Blackhawks tonight, but they got to keep rolling because Florida and Tampa Bay are right on their heels. Florida and Tampa Bay, the National Predators have been red hot ever since we last – when I last looked at the Predators on the show, they were literally sixth in the division. They've climbed to fourth after a very big surge in March. Uh, they're battling – tooth and nail with the Dallas Stars for the last playoff spot in the Central Division. Uh, the Preds are they actually had a big game Saturday night. Nashville beat Dallas one to nothing. Uh, Dallas in overtime. Dallas did get a point but they did not get the two points they were seeking because they have a game in hand uh, from the Predators uh, so Predators have four games left. The Stars have five games left. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks are still in the hunt as well with 50 points. Uh, but if Nashville can win at least two more games and if Dallas loses a couple more games, the Preds are going to the playoffs. Yeah, and, probably, and now, the, again, everybody's got different playoff formats. Again, Carolina's going to get screwed because the one year where they actually have the best record, they don't get to play the weakest teams. They get to play the teams that have been playing all season in their division, which means if they stay number one, they're going to end up having to play Nashville, who's going to be, like, been in playoff mode for, like, a whole month. And Carolina's been – I guess Carolina's kind of been in playoff mode too. But as soon as they get – one of these games where they get some space where they clinch this number one seed, they're going to start resting some guys. And Nashville is going to keep playing their guys. And I don't know how that – the only thing that could maybe even it out is if they have to push back to start of the playoffs for the Canada teams. Well, yeah, that's probably – yeah, because the mainly the Canucks because of the COVID. Right. Uh, they got ravaged with COVID a month ago. Like 20-some-odd players were out. And so – yeah, so the Canucks got a lot of catching up to do. Um, the thing with uh, – I, I don't really see Nashville beating Carolina because Nashville has not beat Carolina all season long. 
Yeah, but uh, the playoffs are different, homie. All it takes is one injury. They're different, but I have watched as different as it. I know the playoffs are a different animal. I know Nashville has won from the they won the the year they went to the Stanley Cup. They were the lower, they were the literally the lowest seat in the playoffs. Like out of the sixteen teams, they were sixteenth, and they got to the Stanley Cup, but. As different as a, and you know, with the crowd starting to fill up again, we will see some uh, home ice advantages and whatnot. But I have watched as many games as I've watched this season. I the Preds just don't the the Preds just don't have it against the top three teams. Like they are literally like. Yeah, they literally have like four wins, and the majority of the wins are against Florida. They've won once against Tampa, three times against Florida, and zero times against Carolina. Um, I'm really, I mean, the only, the only other scenario I can see, the best case scenario for Nashville would be playing Florida. Um, worst case scenario is Carolina. Um, Carolina does not want to finish below number one because you do not want to have to play Tampa Bay in the first round. Yeah. Divisional round. So, yeah, yeah. definitely want to try to keep them uh, as far as hopefully like Florida can beat them or something if they have to go head to head. Like, this is like the old school hockey playoffs from the 80s where you're playing your divisional rounds, teams in divisions, and then you'll, you know, get out of that those two first two rounds are in your division, then that last Eastern Conference matchup will be, you know, the winner of the other side. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Very. And in the East, uh, Pittsburgh leads Washington by two points. The Islanders have clinched the playoff spot. And probably with one more win, the Boston Bruins will be in eliminating the New York Rangers. Um, Flyers, Devils, Sabres. Uh, they are have all had long seasons. They are all out. Uh, Toronto, the only team in the North Division, the Canada Division, to have clinched the playoff spot. Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Montreal hold down the last three spots because of the Canucks, and there's plenty of games in hand. Uh, within that North Division, it's going to take a little bit of time for that to get settled. Um, out West, um, Vegas, uh, they're running things in the West. Colorado, four points behind a second. Minnesota clinched a spot they're in as well. Um, St. Louis Blues leading the Arizona Coyotes by three points. Uh, San Jose Sharks, they're pretty much out of it as mathematically alive, but likely out along with the LA Kings and the Anaheim Ducks definitely eliminated. So we likely will not see any Cali teams in the postseason whatsoever. All right. So there you go. We've got about what, five games left for most teams. Um, it, it, yeah. Except for the Nuts, who have like 10 or 12. They got 11. 11. The Oilers have seven. Um, And Montreal, Calgary, Winnipeg, they all have six. St. Louis has some issues. They got seven games left. Avs got seven games left. 
Yeah, mainly, but at the end, at season's end, though, it's really going to be waiting on the Canucks, and it's just going to be interesting to see if the NHL is going to play on with the playoffs while uh, Canada Division gets everything together if they're going to just I heard, even things out. I heard that they weren't going to do it. I heard what was going to happen was that what they were looking to try to do was since Canada has restrictions on travel, especially if you're in the United States coming to Canada, that, um, that they would um, basically I'm- have to like um, take one of the teams that didn't make it like um let's say the stars don't make it or let's say uh columbus doesn't make it or um and then what they would do is move the canada team into their home building and get yeah. 10 days to quarantine or whatever and then start the playoffs with that canada team playing in the u.s to eliminate the travel issues right yeah that that's probably the ideal situation i mean um, they do have their selection of venues right now. I mean, currently the eliminated teams, Detroit, Columbus, Philly, Newark for the Devils, Buffalo. I think, I think if you put the Maple Leafs in Buffalo, that would probably be a good spot for them. And then if you put maybe... Edmonton in there, or here's the ironic part: put Winnipeg in Arizona. That'll go. <laughs> that will go very well. Um, or put the Canadians at the Garden or something of that sort. So it's going to be very, like I said, very interesting when it gets to that point. Um, it's when it gets to that point uh, because. Like you said, the restrictions are still there, uh, regardless of the uh, teams that are in the playoffs. So, all right, all right. So at this point, Dwayne, I'm turning it over to you, sir, for your shout outs and thank yous. Uh, shout out to all the listeners, all the podcast hosts. Uh, shout out to the WrestleCast fam, uh, re- uh, we do have wrestling on as we speak as we record this. Um, my final thought is the footy. We're going to go back to the footy. MLS is in full swing. Uh, we've had um, match, day, match day three so far. Uh, of course, there are... There are new teams that are in the league right now. Austin FC has taken the field uh, this season. Uh, a lot of, I'm sure, you know, just to kind of give a quick backdrop, this was supposed to be, supposed to have been Columbus Crew moving to Austin to become Austin FC. However, Columbus put off, put up a Save the Crew campaign. Jimmy Haslam, D Haslam, and a bunch of investors, uh, the Haslams who own the Cleveland Browns, put in a bid to keep the crew in Ohio. So they, the crew stayed in Ohio. As a result of the crew staying in Ohio, the owner, original owner of the crew who was moving them to Austin, ended up getting an expansion team in Austin instead. They started play. 
in 2021, and and they're playing pretty well. Six points, tied for second in the conference. Uh, it is early. Um, I'm trying to take a look here. Uh, New England and Seattle. How interesting is that? Are both uh, running the league right now. Uh, 14 teams in the East. Out West, you have three, six, twelve. You have thirteen. You have thirteen in the West. Uh, you're likely going to have two more coming in uh, next year. Uh, Charlotte being one of them, and and then uh, you got a couple. You got one more coming in right after that. So uh, good times in the uh, in the MLS. Every the league is press. The league is prospering right now, and and uh, they're doing they're doing very well for themselves, especially a league that many thought would be left for dead. Um, the league that did get left for dead was that Super League, though. Yes, they tried started on Sunday, started on Sunday, died on Tuesday. Yeah, over in England, where the uh, basically all the teams that are owned by American ownership were basically like, "Oh man, fuck that! We're gonna try to make like a English Premier version of the NFL, where the fifteen, sixteen top clubs break away." And create their own right. league, and then they don't have to worry about getting uh, demoted and all that stuff, like you know, happens in the Premier League, and they're breaking away from the mm-hmm. Champions mm-hmm. Cup and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, them soccer folks was like, Mm-mm, "Ain't gonna happen, nope." Not over here, not in our sport. So, like, literally had to force uh, John Henry, who owns uh, the Red Sox and Liverpool, basically, he had to basically make a video apology um and the what makes it even worse for for uh uh Manchester United the Glazers who own the Buccaneers and Manchester United the game against Liverpool didn't even happen because yeah the fans stormed the field fans of the yeah, yeah so yeah, I saw that and uh, don't forget, LeBron James owns a little bit of that, too. Yes, he does. Hence why Liverpool went from New Balance to Nike this past season. Yeah, yeah. So, a lot of a lot of stuff going on in the soccer world, if you weren't paying attention uh, the last couple of weeks here. Um, yes. My shout-outs, uh, well, my final thought would just be um, with uh, the Unser family. Uh Bobby Unser, three-time winner of the Indianapolis 500, uh, passed away today. Uh, one of, I think, only three or four men to ever win that race three uh, three times. Uh, Bobby mm-hmm. Unser also won it in three different decades, which is uh, really amazing. Um, he also drove those cars in their most dangerous era in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, so, you know, uh, um, he saw a lot of his friends, you know, pass away in crashes and things like that. So, um, just thoughts to the Unser family and uh, true, you know, ambassador of IndyCar racing. He was uh, a broadcaster uh, after his racing career was over. Uh, very charismatic and energetic. Really loved the sport of IndyCar. So uh, definitely thinking about the Unser family uh, today. Uh, after that, 
Um, I'd just like to give a big shout out to Dwayne for joining me here on this week's edition of The Score. Give a shout out to everybody on the CSPN uh, who does uh, all the shows with me, all my co-hosts over on the Rousecast side of things. Definitely appreciate them each and every week. Thank you to all the listeners. Uh, become a patron over on the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash CSPN Media to get extra content can only be found there on the patreon page also support the podcast and keep the shows free by going over to cspn.us click on the banner that says keep our podcast free at the top of the page do some shopping with any of our sponsors to help keep the shows free each and every week so for my co-host Dwayne, i'm your host don delorente and now you know the score